if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. I'd like to welcome back our guest again, Catherine Silver. Now, Catherine has been on before. The last time, or been on a few times, actually, the last time we talked about horses that are going in the right direction and just making sure the horse's training is going in the right direction. But I know that if someone goes through that checklist, they probably think, oh, no, you know, this is not going in the right direction. And it was more of a checklist, what can I do? The obvious choice is to have a trainer. So Catherine's going to talk to us today about making sure that we've got the right trainer, but what we should do or how we know if we haven't got the right trainer. So it's sort of a just putting us again in the right direction. Now, Catherine, where are you? I'd like to uh, welcome you back. Hi there. Thank you for having me back. And um, yeah, I just got off my last horse and drove home and I'm ready to talk about red flags. Perfect. Perfect. Because I know that choosing a trainer, you get the right trainer, they're not the right one for everyone. Someone might recommend a trainer and, you know, you have a horse and you form a relationship with the horse. You want to make sure that you're doing the right thing for the horse. But there's certain things, red flags, we've called them, just to make sure that the trainer is the right match for ourselves and for our horse and, you know, a bit of trial and error. But there's some things, and I know that you know, as a coach and going out and assessing coaches and training them, there's some things that I know it's a red flag for me and I'm sure you're going to be talking about that. It's not saying that it's wrong. We just need to clarify, ask them to explain, you know, explain the shortfalls, you know, what you can accept, what you and your horse is going to accept because you've got that relationship anyway. And be prepared to ask yourself if you want to keep working with this particular trainer or you should work a little wider is that sort of explaining where we're coming from yeah. with this yeah and so yeah and, and really I want to you know just uh, say ahead of going into the into those red flags into those phrases that you know really you know uh, make me uh, sit back and think okay um, but uh, yeah it's it, there's so many trainers out there and so many teaching styles and and I think you know there's room for a lot of, of different trainers in this world and I know I have my niche and I have a lot of colleagues that I refer people to that you know if, if, if they want something different and uh, you know and, and I think there's room for a lot of different teaching styles and a lot of different approaches to training and I think there's room for natural horsemanship and there's room for dressage and there's room for jumping and there's room for uh, you know western and there's room for all of those things. Uh, but still, there's there's some things that uh, you know. I think the culture of, of horse training and the nature of the horse business is, is also changing in a better direction than this traditional model, uh, where trainers had this this full authority and clients would just drop their horse off and and never you know look at it again and until they they showed it in amateur classes or just very you know, infrequently visited the horse under close supervision. I think that. Uh, is uh, is not really feasible anymore. So now there's a lot more variety there and a lot more uh, you know, demand for good teaching and good coaching and uh, you know the, the the kind of standards of, of training that uh, you know are, are are not going on behind closed doors. So um, I, I think it's it's all very exciting. And so you know horse trainers are humans, of course, and and so there's a lot of personalities out there and and a lot and not every every trainer will be the right person for every client, but 
Um, yeah, so everybody finds their clientele, but then there's some things that I think we should actively discourage. Yeah, I love the way you've explained that. Look, Catherine, just before we get started, I'd just like to remind people about International Horse College. And International Horse College has a motto, people, safety and horse welfare. So if that's the way you feel when you're working with your horse or working around horses, have a look at the website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. But also keep listening because I know that Catherine feels exactly the same way. And I love the way that you've got such an open mind, Catherine. You know, you're just talking about it, that it doesn't have to be strict and there's lots of disciplines. And, you know, you talked about your particular niche. So starting off in Germany and then it must have been a bit of a culture shock then to come to the US, but they're all horses. And now you're doing a lot of Western, Western dressage, but expanding from there. Can we go, you know, you go to competitions because I know that you'd go to a lot of competitions and and just out training and listening and going to into different stables. So I'll go into a stable or, you know, an adjustment centre and um, I may be there to be with one of my students, but then you walk past a trainer who says some of these things and you're right, I cringe as well. The first one (laughs) I want to talk about, yes, yes, you know, crank the nose band as tight as you can or use a bigger bed, or let's put him in draw reins, but changing the gear. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place to change gear, but, you know, let's talk about the nose band. You know, it, it shouldn't be that the horse gets numb around the nose. You know why? It's, it's no, just too... No, and, and there is this, yeah, there is this, this old the German gold standard of, you know, you have to be able to put, you know, two fingers, you know, between yes. the nose and the nose all the way around. And, you know, usually it's like I like it to make it more like four fingers. And, you know, it's like there's a... a place for a for a nose and there's a place for a cabisance but it's not to crank the mouth shut so the horse can't chew on the bit or the horse can't move the jaw i mean that's not the purpose the purpose is to remind the horse that that you can close your mouth again to to encourage the horse to accept the contact but uh you know and, and to uh, line up the upper and, and lower jaw a little bit so it's like a guidance tool it's supposed to be gentle it's not supposed to be like oh you open your mouth well we you know it's a little bit like like when you're driving your car and, and the check engine light the big red light comes on and you think oh well well we can fix that and you get out your duct tape and you put some black duct tape over it and then the light is gone and uh, yeah then you think okay well we fix that well that doesn't fix the engine so if the horse you know has trouble accepting contact and the horse opens his mouth and the you know the horse is playing with the bit uh, these are all things that you know the horse is saying well i don't understand this how can you explain it to me better the horse is searching the horse is looking we shouldn't discourage that and so yeah there's uh, you know a time and a place for for putting a a, a, a flash noseband on a horse I mean I rarely do it but you know, I recognize yeah sometimes that's that's a good thing if a, the horse really has you know habits of, of evading the bit um and then uh, there's different nosebands out there but never ever have it super tight that's the you try for you know, if like, the next time you ride you always try to clench your jaw shut as tight as you can and then just see if you can relax anywhere else in your body you really can't mm-hmm. And I love the way that you say, ask the trainer to explain, why do we have to have a yeah. quicker bit? Why do we need him in draw reins? You know, why are we putting the noseband tighter? Yeah, and draw reins, I'm not saying there's never, you know, I don't own a pair of draw reins. I've in, in my 30 years of doing this professionally, I've never, in and all the problem horses I've retrained, I've never felt the need to use draw reins. Um, I have friends who do, and I respect that, but it's a means to an end, and they use them you know, very carefully um, a few times until the horse understands, oh, I can give at the pole, and then they, they never use them again. 
Uh, so, you know, I don't, but I respect that there's some good trainers who, you know, maybe have a reason to do that. Uh, but it should never be something like, oh, he sticks his nose up in the air. Let's put the draw reins on. That'll show him. I mean, that that just, uh, you can just create so much damage that yes. way. Yes. It's always interesting, too, when you see a person riding and you go, oh, yes, you must get lessons with such and such because they always want you to, you know, have the draw reins on or have that type of bit or have, you know, that every horse seems to go in a particular bit of gear because that's the way that they train, but every horse is an individual. Right, right. And I'm not saying it's like switching bits can be super helpful if the horse has trouble with the contours. Like, well, let's try a loose ring instead of a D ring. Let's try this thing, you know, this different brand of bit. Let's try this different material. But, you know, it's like there's a difference between that and saying, oh, well, you know, he's not respecting this mild bit, so let's put him in a severe bit that'll really cause him pain. That'll, well, that'll only teach the horse that bits cause pain. Yeah, is this something we want the horse to know? So yeah, there's a difference. Like yeah, a different bit that's one thing, but uh, yeah, just say oh well, let's put a shank bit on him, let's put a twist bit on him, like bits that aren't even legal to compete in. That's like that's a huge red flag there. If if you say well, this is something we can't even really do in public, but we'll do it at home just to make the horse listen, and then we hope that he maintains it when we show him. Nah, that's not really correct training. Then no, no. What about a trainer who, you know, may just happen to have a horse or two for sale who says constantly to all their students, you know, you need a different horse. You do so much better on this nice horse that I happen to have for sale. You know, what about that that trainers tend to use? They make a lot more money out of buying and selling horses than what they do for training. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it may be a perfectly legitimate thing to say. I've said to a couple of students over the years here and there, I've said, you, yes, this is not working out. You do need a different horse. After I've given it my best shot and the student has given it her best shot and we've tried everything and the personalities just don't match. If it's a very uh, uh, strong-willed horse and a very timid rider, I've had had that happen. It just wasn't ever a good partnership and they did part ways and, and find you know, a new horse and a new home, respectively. Um, the other instances, if it's a real safety issue, is I think, oh my God, this rider is going to get hurt and there's no way to uh, you know, to really address that. There's no way to make that better. Then you know, I've said a couple of times, look, this is you do need a different horse. This is this horse is going to you know land you in the hospital. But if uh, and, and and there's a third instance. If you know, you know I talk to a student and the student has plans of competing at a certain level or. Had, you know, has this dream of, of going to uh, you know the, the the quarter horse world show, or had dream of, of of finishing her bronze medal in dressage and then and, and getting to the horse to third level, and then the horse is you know either not sound or the horse is you know a, a gated horse or the horse is some uh, you know like a Shetland pony. Then I have to say, well, you know, very likely the horse won't get you there, and so it's not really fair to ask a horse who physically can't do certain things to. go to a level that they can't. I mean, that would be not fair to the horse. So yeah, there's instances. However, if your trainer says a lot to a lot of students, oh, you know, uh, you should try that you need a different horse. You you would do so much better on this horse and they just happen to have the right horse for sale. Then a lot of times it is a a conflict of interest, I feel. I mean, I don't ever sell horses to clients. I mean, the big reason for that is I'm a horrible salesperson. So I stay well away from that. And, yeah, I respect and admire people who are good salespeople, but I think you have to be responsible about it. You don't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to sell this horse to uh, this person, even if it's not a great match or even if she's not really looking for a horse or even if her current horse could work out really well, because, you know, that would make me a big fat commission. And that's so much easier than, uh, you know, than training horses all day. 
I love the way that you explained that because you would explain to a client or a student, but it's about being responsible and not just thinking, well, I'm going to make a lot more money out of buying and selling horses than what I am out of teaching and going down that route. What about if they've got the horse or they may come along and and the trainer starts to say things like, you're not a good enough rider for this horse? Yeah, that's a guilt trip that I've heard trainers put their students on. So this is actually a variation of uh, you know, the, the last one, uh, which is essentially saying you are too good a rider for this horse, you're a better horse. This one is you're not a good enough rider for this horse. And then what follows next is usually some version of, oh, you know, your horse is so talented and would be so much better with uh, a professional like me riding him and showing him, oh, you know, if you keep riding him, he won't reach his potential. He won't uh, you know, uh, go as far as he could go. Um, it's you know it may be a legitimate thing to say you are not uh, a good enough rider for this horse. I would maybe be a little more diplomatic about it. I would say right now, uh, you know, uh, it's again it's mostly a safety issue. Right now, you and this horse you know, aren't really a, a good match. Um, if your horse experience is limited, if your horse is green or has behavioral issues that really make this horse unsafe, yeah, it may be true at least for now that this is not you know you're not a good enough rider for this horse. You're going to get hurt if you keep riding this horse. But the other side of that argument, oh, you know, your horse would do so much better. Your horse would, you know, win this. Your horse would reach his potential. You're holding your horse back. Um, you're ruining your horse by riding him. That is just baloney. And horses don't particularly care about winning ribbons. And, you know, a lot of horses, you know, they live, live perfectly happy lives being trail horses and never, you know, going as far as they could in any particular discipline. And I don't think the horse is really... Uh, any worse off for that. It's like, yeah, I, I look at those horses, I think, oh my God, I could do really well with them. But if that the owner doesn't really want the horse to stay in training and, and to show in open classes with me, well, then who am I to say? So, And the whole guilt trip, you know, as a, as a human, as a person, sometimes trying to make someone else feel bad makes them feel good. You know, it's a flaw in their own personality, but just taking that guilt trip a little bit further What if they say things like, oh, you've got no idea how to ride, you'll never be any good? You know, do you find trainers? I I know that I have found trainers who say this all the time to their students and and not just to one but to several. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've I've seen this across the disciplines. I've seen this with really well-known and and, and highly paid dressage clinicians. I've seen this in the natural horsemanship world. I mean, very, uh, very severely where people like are in tears. Uh, but it's like this, the, yeah, and, and I think, you know, making students feel really bad about their writing, it doesn't really teach them how to write better. I mean, I, you know, I don't know about you, Glennis, but when I take a lesson and my instructor says, you're the worst writer I've ever seen, I don't really learn anything from No, <laughs> no, definitely not, definitely not. You know, if you're going to someone to be taught, you want to make sure that there's progress there. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, 
maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. What about if they don't berate the rider? But they say something like, your horse has a bad disposition. But the, let's stick with, the, with the, you, you have no idea how to ride. I think, I mean, I've thought about this since I made this list. I mean, I grew up in Germany and I got yelled at a lot as a child in group lessons on lesson horses. And, you know, I don't really remember much, uh, you know, from those, those early lessons, except that, you know, I thought that I would never learn how to ride. And I think in Germany and, you know, in Europe too, and maybe in the whole sport of dressage, it comes from this military tradition where it was part of, like, riding schools were part of the cavalry and they were part of the military in different countries. And, and one of those common teaching strategies in, in boot camp, even here in the U.S. military, is, like, you tear them up before, you know, before you build them, uh, you tear them down before you build them up. And so, you know, not that I, I would have never made it through boot camp, but, you know, I've heard people that have been in the military say that that's the strategy that's used. And then I think, well, yeah, that sounds very familiar. And, uh, you yeah. So it's, I think we have to change the, the, the culture around that. I, I think it's already changing, but I think there's still some remnants of that. Or you know, maybe you know, there's instructors who just make themselves feel better by you know, making their students feel worse about themselves. Yes, I, I know when I uh, first went to the UK, I did a couple of training for instructor exams over there. And gee, it was very military and very much, no, you don't talk to them like that. You don't talk to your students like that. You must speak like this. This is the command. This is the way you say it. This is what you need to do and say and everything else. And there's no please and thank you. And, that you know, it just wasn't. It was very, very military. So you have to adapt your teaching style to that whole military background. Hopefully um, now it's changed a little bit. It was quite a while before when I was over there. But I know when I was first learning, that was the way you were supposed to teach, like military. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad it's changing, but there's still some teachers out there who, you know, also, you know, there is, I've heard it also, you know, said, you know, from trainers, you know, who, you know, I've even asked a trainer who I heard teach like that, I said, uh, you know, I did ask them, well, you know, uh, what do you, how how are students supposed to learn? And they said, well, you know, it's like if they can't learn from my teaching style, then they don't want it badly enough. And I think, whoa, that's, no, that's just not true. Uh, so if you have if your confidence is in shatters, you can't learn. I mean, I've been there. I've I've walked out of dressage clinics in tears, um, and yeah, I don't remember anything about it except that it cost me a lot of money and that I yeah, felt like I would never learn it. But on the other hand, the other extreme, there's teachers uh, yeah now who never ever criticize their students really and say, oh, you know, everything's good, everything's wonderful, and that I don't agree with either because yeah, that is just a waste of money. I mean, I think you can be constructive and positive and still challenge the students there's like this middle ground that we all need to find yes yes and I agree you know I agree that there are trainers there who it's just full of compliments it's just full of oh and then they students go out even to a competition and um, we can sort of talk to a little little bit later about this one but the student's perfect but it was a bad judge or a bad this or a bad that um never never about the students (laughs) yep No, that's bad sportsmanship. Yeah. So I think we have to look for that middle ground where we're positive and we're constructive. And yeah. Um, Brendan Bergen's got a a really good one. He talks at the end of the lesson, instead of doing, you know, just a bit of feedback, he puts it into uh, two wishes and a star, you know, something that I would have liked to have done, something that I would like, you know, uh, my star is this is what I did great. And then, you know, just getting that bit of a sandwich feedback, you know, something else that they're working towards. Yeah, yeah, that little bit of balance 
like, yeah, we're, and, you know, and I also like to tell my students, look, you know, and when, when I, you know, when I feel like, you know, a lesson didn't, a student is disappointed and in, in, in their writing, I say, look, yeah, I'm going to take a lesson with my trainer. You're invited to come. We're all in this together. We're all working on different things. You know, this is, I, I happen to have more experience doing certain things, but like, like really it's, you know, I'm still taking lessons. I'm still working on my seat every day. And so don't feel bad when you have things to work on. It's, uh, yeah, I think that is important too, that you're vulnerable this way as an instructor, that you don't say, well, I'm perfect and you're not. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. Taking it to the horse now, your horse has a bad disposition. What can we say about that one? Okay, so yeah, so this comes across in different variations, like your horse is, yeah, your horse is a, is a bad horse, your horse is stubborn, your horse is naughty, your horse is a, I don't even want to say it, a, yeah, a, a piece of excrement, I've heard, actually heard that, um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, your horse is just a bad horse. So you're, you're you're making derogatory comments about the horse. To me, that is a huge red flag, and it translates as the trainer is frustrated and doesn't know how to help the horse or help the rider get along with the horse. And so you know, that's to me, that's not acceptable because when you use abusive language about horses, then that often like leads to physical abuse of horses, and and that's never okay. So you know, I don't like to talk about horses that way. When I hear anybody at my barn doing this, like a, a farrier or one of the porters, I, I usually just initiate a conversation about that and say, well, you know, what is this supposed to accomplish? And you know, horses don't understand it, but still, it just it creates an, an environment and a tone that it it just shouldn't be. Yes, yes, just so, that whole negativity. Yeah. Yeah, and and even you know even like uh, generalizing terms like oh all all mares are bitchy or all Arabians are crazy. I think we can do better than that. And instead of just you know putting it like that, that's making it way too easy. We can be more specific and say okay, this is the behavior we'd like to change. And uh, you know and 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 also like those those comments when people say well oh he uh, you know was resisting me. He tried to do this to me. It's it's the horse like that. Yeah. So I think we need to just, you know, really think about how we use language about horses and, uh, you know, and, and, and they don't launch personal attacks against us. So we can, you know, we, we can just, you know, think about this a little bit better. Yeah. And I think the whole ownership of the problem, you know, like instead of blaming the horse, go, but what could I have done to fix this? Yeah. You know, what did I do wrong to start it? What could I have done to fix it? Yeah, what could I have done to 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 make the situation better, to keep it from escalating? Yeah, was I asking too much? Was I asking the wrong thing? So these are the the, the questions that are helpful and constructive instead of just saying, "Oh, well, this is just a naughty horse." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I've got another one too. You know, it's probably taking the military further. You know, almost like a communist country or something. You know, but. And I know that we're encouraging people, if the trainer does something wrong, to ask for that clarification, get them to explain, you know, what did the horse do? What are we trying to achieve and everything? But what about when someone says, I'm the trainer, that's why. Listen, follow, and that's it. You know, just because I'm the trainer, they've got this authority over the rider, the horse, the whole environment. What can we say about people like that? Well, that is, yeah, that is not acceptable. You know, trainers are human. I know I am. I know all my colleagues are. And they learn and they make mistakes just like everybody. And of course, of course they do. So if you have a trainer who says, well, you know, it's like, don't question what I do. Don't ask why I'm doing that. That's a huge red flag. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I think it's, it's really unprofessional to say that. It's, uh, it's like refusing to answer a, a perfectly legitimate question. I mean, learning and, and teaching, those are, that's a two-way street. 
you don't just, you know, this is like back to this uh, this uh, model of education where uh, you know, this banking model of education where you say, okay, so the, the, the trainer or the teacher is in possession of the knowledge and then the students sit there with their heads empty and then the teacher proceeds to stuff the knowledge into the student's head and they just passively sit there and then uh, they regurgitate what they've learned and, and then the teacher's job is done. But it really doesn't work that way and learning really is a dialogue and teaching really is a dialogue and it works two ways. And so if you shut the dialogue down, uh, it's it's not going to go well. And yeah, my students mostly are you know professionals in other areas, and they're smart people, and they they want to learn, and and they come from different backgrounds, but there's some overlap. So you know they they want to know why they do the things they do, why I ask them to do the things they do, and I make every effort to answer that. And uh, yeah, and and yeah, I think the reason some trainers you know shut people down like that is because uh, you know maybe they they mostly deal with, deal with children i don't know even then you shouldn't do that but uh, you know they just want to engage in the dialogue and also they want they don't want to make themselves vulnerable because it does make you vulnerable because i've found myself a few times um having to say uh, you know, i don't know let me think about it let me ask my mentor let me uh read up on it let me uh uh yeah, let me find the answer. I'll get back with it tomorrow and then, you know, or we'll look for it together. But it does make you vulnerable. And, you know, I've changed my behavior in a couple of occasions when a student says, why do we do it like that? And I've thought about it and I think, well, you're right. That, that makes no sense. Because I've always done it like that. We've always done it like that. That's not a very good answer. No, no, that's right. It makes it, you know, we talked before about having an open mind and always wanting to learn. But, um, you know, we come across something that we don't know, that just encourages us to go out and learn more as well. Oh, absolutely. I've I've made a lot of progress as a trainer and a, and a writer, you know, from students who challenge me like that. And I always thank them afterwards and say, well, you know, this was made maybe not super comfortable for me in that moment, but I've learned something from it. Yep, yep. Now, what about, and this is particularly jumping, you mm-hmm. know, that we might have a talented horse that's doing well, but we're a bit scared or apprehensive or we're just not sure, doubtful. If the trainer comes along and goes, just do it, you know, but we're worried and we know that if we're worried, we're looking for some confidence, but they're saying, just do as I say. What can we do? You know, what sort of situations could that happen? But, um, you know, otherwise, what what do we do there? What brings that on? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, writing is an emotional endeavor for uh, you know, most of us, especially, you know, most of my students are adult amateurs. It's a lifelong dream for them to have a horse and ride a horse. And of course, there's fear, there's anxiety. When I learned to ride as a kid, I had no fear and anxiety because I just didn't think. I mean, you don't when you're eight years old, but uh, yeah, when you're old, you start and you think, well. Um, and so, you know, there's, uh, you know, and it's not this rational thing. So, um, yeah, first of all, yeah, I think we shouldn't dismiss those issues because they can be real roadblocks to a student making progress, not just in jumping, just in, you know, even in, in, in learning to trot, learning to canter, learning to go on trail rides, you know, expanding your comfort zone as a rider. Uh, that's, that's huge. So, you know, I encourage students to talk about their emotional issues. And if I see them freeze up and, you know, I say, like, let's stop, let's take a deep breath, let's, let's see if we can come up with some strategies to work through that. And then, uh, and, and so, there's ways to engage that that are more respectful to the student, uh, first of all, um, and uh, you know, also more constructive. Because it's not if you just say, yeah, you. Some trainers may think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm encouraging the students. It's like, oh, there's no reason to to be fearful. There's no reason to to feel discouraged after you know after a bad lesson that didn't go as you planned. But that's you know that's not helpful. That's not constructive. 
No, that's right. That's right. And I love the way that you're encouraging the students and encouraging them to be a bit more confident to expand their comfort zone. What about, and this is not again for riding because, you know, we're going through the red flags about your trainer and we did talk, you know, that they're going across disciplines. But this one too, just as a person, you know, you don't necessarily want a friend like this because if someone starts to bag another trainer or to say to this other student is not very good, they might be a terrible rider or the trainer's got no idea what they're doing, what are they going to say about you, you know, when you're... Right. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah, so that's the next red flag. When when uh, you know trainers say, oh, you know this other trainer is an awful trainer and the worst trainer ever, and and let me tell you all the things that she does, and they're like, oh, my other student did this and this and this, uh, and it was really awful, and then she's the worst writer ever. Well, then yeah, uh, if you if somebody you know not just the trainer but anybody talks talks badly about other people behind their backs, then they will you know you can bet that they will say bad things behind your back when you know your back is turned and so you know I, I think you know it's it's a very human thing to do I, I catch myself doing things like that where I just make some catty comment about another trainer and it feels good for about a nanosecond and then I feel awful it's like well you know what <laughs> so we should discourage that we shouldn't uh, you know we shouldn't perpetuate it we shouldn't uh, I think in a lot of barns the dynamic I've seen is that you know the trainer says to a student you know shares those uh, those confidences those negative comments about other trainers or other students and then the student thinks oh now I'm in I'm in this inner circle now you know my trainer really likes me and and, and she's sharing these things with me but uh, my god I mean I think we have to grow up and, and you know barns should not be like middle school they should be a place where people feel welcome and and where people talk to each other instead of about each other. Yeah, and I think particularly if there's a barn or, you know, an establishment where there's a couple of different trainers and, or instructors, they've got to support each other, you know, otherwise it just begets to um, be such an uncomfortable feeling that the barn itself is going to... Um, to lose oh, clients. I've been in a barn like yeah. that. It was awful. I dreaded. I mean, it just yeah. And I think it wasn't good for the horses either. I think the horses could feel all that tension. Uh, yeah, I think there's room for all of us in this world. It's a big world. There's a lot of horses and, and a lot of uh, you know different uh, training uh, you know, methods and, and riding styles. And I think we can all find our niche and support each other. And why not? I mean, it feels a whole lot better. What about the trainers, you know, and I'm not necessarily saying that they're at the aggressive stage, but they might start off, you know, just saying something like, oh, use your outside brain. And then they would say, and if the rider, the rider may not even understand how to use the outside brain, but they've told them once, then they yell at them, use your outside brain. And then they say, use your, you know, whatever swear word you think yeah. of outside brain. So, so. This, you know, we're not necessarily talking about someone being physically abusive, but the whole verbal abuse. Oh my God! Yeah, that's that's huge, and I think it's just a mark of like where you know you're as a teacher, you're at the end of your rope, so to speak, and you don't know you know how else to explain it, and then you think, oh well, saying it louder and 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 yeah, and yelling it and putting some uh, you know colorful emphasis on it, that'll make you know my student understand. Well, you know, it generally doesn't. And I really, you know, I was like, I, I really learned this when I was, you know, uh, briefly in college when I was teaching German to beginners. And that was, you know, and uh, sometimes, you know, we would like resort to that, like in, in, in frustration. I was young then and, and German is a very difficult language to learn. And, and so, you know, uh, people wouldn't get it. And then you just repeat it louder and, and, and louder and they still don't get it. Well, you know, that that's a dead end. And so it's the same with 
teaching people how to ride horses. You just have to look for different words instead of you know resorting to abusive language or, or yelling and screaming. Um, and you know, there's. I think we just need to you know look to uh, make our vocabulary and make our our, our use of language in in teaching uh, make that more effective and widen it a lot. Because you know, you always hear the same phrases in in all lessons, and I think we can do better than that. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's just a matter of you know asking the rider to stop and then going and explaining it and finding out what part of use your outside brain don't you understand. Yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, or if the student has enough confidence, and that's, you know, back to teaching being a two-way conversation, uh, the student needs to have be comfortable enough and have enough confidence to say, uh, what do you want me to do with yes, my outside brain? Yes, 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 how? Yeah, how yeah. do you want me to do how outside do I do brain? It? Exactly, then. Yeah, and, and then it can be constructive in the conversation. But, yeah, it's like yelling, that never... Uh, that has never taught anybody anything. I've never learned much from being yelled at, and I've been yelled at a lot in, in riding lessons. And also, horses have super sensitive ears, and I just don't like to be loud around them. I mean, it's, I'd love to experience the world like a horse does just for a day, wouldn't you? Like you know, the ears and the eyes. Oh, but... look, I think you could learn so much. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. What about, this is sort of going a little bit further. And like I said before, sometimes you see everyone's trainer's got or an instructor's got all of their students in a particular bit or a particular noseband or everyone in draw reins or a particular martingale. What about when they take it that bit further and they say, this is what your horse needs, whether it's just a new saddle or a supplement or some sort of gadgety thing, which I happen to sell and, you know, can give you a good deal on, but then taking it that bit further and saying, if you don't, you're an irresponsible, uncaring owner, you know, so that that guilt trip going further, yeah. Yes, yes, I've been in barns where that was taken to the extreme and, and, and everybody had the same super expensive dressage saddles and, and was feeding you know, supplements that cost hundreds of dollars every month. And, 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 and if you didn't do that, and you know, it wasn't like it was absolutely mandatory, but you, know, you would feel really, really terrible about you know, your, your horse care if, if you refused. And so, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong like to be a sales rep for a product that you believe in. I don't think, you know, I mean, I don't do it, but, you know, I know trainers that do and they're responsible about it. And they don't sell them to people that don't need them or, or you know, or, or they don't require that everybody in their barn or in their program, you know, use whatever it is. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the guilt trip that's, that's really the red flag. It's like, yeah, if you don't feed this, if you don't use this saddle, uh, then you're just an irresponsible horse owner and, and dealing it and and so but you know it, the truth of it is there's a lot of good saddles out there and there's a lot of good supplements out there and you know most horses don't even need them and uh, you know there's uh, yeah there's, there's students that have limited budgets and if they they you know uh, if they they can't buy a new saddle right then there's a lot you can do with using you know things underneath the saddle or you can like, reflock it or whatever so you don't have to say oh okay you need this new five thousand dollar saddle or you need this 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 new noseband that's the latest thing. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's, there, there can be a, a conversation about it. I think there shouldn't be that pressure to, to say, well, you know, it's like, if you don't fit my program, then you're, you're not a, a good horse owner. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, you've got to have confidence, as you said, to clarify, to get an explanation and to ask yourself the questions, you know, whether or not you want to keep working with this person at this barn. Or this adjustment center. Yeah, and not just with this trainer. Also, like barns, it's it's like you know, there's culture at barns, there's atmospheres that are created, and you know that can be 
super obvious when you walk in there. It's not just the trainer. It's also the, all the, the clients and the dynamic between them. And so you walk in there and you can just kind of uh, feel what, you know, the, the, and if you want to be a part of that or not. And so the biggest compliment I've gotten is like, oh, your barn feels so welcoming. Oh, we so enjoy being here. And there's people that ride at Western Saddles and people that have quarter horses and people that have gated horses and people that have very fancy barn bloods. And so that is what I really shoot for, that everybody feels welcome and, and people are you know, learning, but they're also you know, not being uh, put into this, this, this very narrow definition of what a good rider is and, and what success is and, and what learning is and, and what a good horse is. Yeah, yeah. Caption this checklist. Hopefully we've got people going through this checklist and saying, that's not a problem, that's not a problem, this is good, this is good. Oh, I was at another barn once and that happened, but not now. So hopefully they've gone through, first of all, the checklist to make sure that the horse's training is going in the right direction and they can go, yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. And then they also go through this list and the red flags from their trainer and they don't have a trainer with these red flags. And even if they do have a trainer with one or two of these red flags, they feel confident enough to just get that trainer to explain why. You know, as you said before, we're all human. We can't be absolutely perfect. We can all strive for that. But, you know, the person's got to be confident enough to ask the trainer for clarification and to decide then, to make a decision then, do they need to stay here Or, you know, and sometimes too, the trainer may not be aware that there is a problem. So just having a conversation with the trainer. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those trainers, they're good people and they're they're good with horses and they mean well. But it's like a lot of times, if, you know, and I have had conversations like that with friends like, oh, well, I've always done it that way. Or I learned it that way. Or, yeah, I, I, I thought you had to you know, do it that way. And so, you know, that's a lot of times that is at the root of it. Yeah, I don't think that in the horse world there's very many, you know, truly abusive and horrible trainers out there. I mean, there's a few, but it's, you know, most of us, we only try to make a living and we're in it because we love horses. So it's it's not so much that I'm saying, oh, there's all this um, horribly uh, horrible trainers that only take advantage of people. I mean, uh, no, I think most trainers really at their core are, are good people and try to do right by their clients. But, uh, you know, I think the, the culture of, trainers and, and training and uh, uh, that is also changing and I think it's overall in a positive direction where you know, owners have more input and, and there's more diversity and, and there's more dialogue and it's uh, yeah and there's more emphasis on, on good teaching so I think that is all really really good. Yep. Captain, wonderful catching up with you again. I'm certainly looking forward to your next chat or our next chat. I um, you know I think you've always got these interesting conversations and just to get people to go through and say, is this happening? Is this not happening? And, you know, they've got a bit of an idea of uh, what to go about it. Do you know now what you plan to talk on next time? I have no idea yet, but I'm sure I'll think of something. on. I'm sure. I absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Look, what I often say to people when they say, look, I'm just not sure, I, I just say, well, what are some of the questions that your students ask you? You know, what are the main questions that you can clarify? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the, the why question, that's, you know, that would be a really good thing. And, um, yeah, and I also, uh, you know, one more thing about, you know, I'm looking through my red flags, and a lot of them have to do with, with better teaching or, you know, teaching that's, you know, in this tradition that's not very good. I mean, there is this attitude that I've come across in trainers, like those who can do and those who can't teach, 
And so I think, uh, you know, there's still a little bit of that out there where a trainer, you know, thinks, well, you know, if I'm really, really a good trainer, I shouldn't have to teach like it's this lesser thing. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) I I think, as you say, it's part of the training. And I think, you know, just if you're not sure on the training and what sort of course you're looking for and what sort of training you need, go to International Horse College. There's six different instructor courses there and there's six different because we cover all different sorts of people. If you're teaching beginners, if you're a high-level competition rider and you want to go out and teach your students, if you want to have just have basic safety, if you want to do trail riding, recreation, just go to internationalhorsecollege.com. And I think if you go internationalhorsecollege.com slash horse riding instructor, maybe it's horse-riding-instructor, you'll get all those six courses as well. So I think, as you say, Catherine, you know, it's the training, the awareness and just letting people know what's out there, what the expectations are. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Catherine, if people would like to talk to you, you know, they, they want you to clarify and, and they have listened to you and say, you know what, Catherine's the sort of person that I'd like to talk to about this problem that I've got with my trainer. What's the best way to contact you? Okay, so there's uh, my contact information is on my website at katrinsilvadressage.com. There's also a link to my blog, and there's articles about a lot of the issues that I've talked about on the horse chat. Um, and uh, yeah, you would, you know, uh, you can send me a message on Facebook. Uh, Katrin Silva Dressage has a Facebook page. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, really, uh, there's an email um, that, that uh, you know, you can reach me at. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of ways. I'd love to know what you think. I'd love to know if there's other red flags that you think are out there. I'd love to know your experiences with your trainer, positive or negative. And, uh, yeah, let's start a dialogue about it. I think it's all going in the right direction. I'd love to hear from people. Perfect. All right, Captain, looking forward to talking to you again and we'll chat again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Glennis. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 